0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. We know that the Colts will go to Germany, Frankfurt, to be specific, and play the Patriots on Sunday, November 12th. We know they'll get the bye week after that. We know at least they're not the Jacksonville Jaguars who have to play two weeks in a row in London. They really do want to make this an international game. But when you take a look at the Colts' schedule, it is heavy up front with a lot of conference play. But I don't know if I consider this the toughest schedule that a team could get. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5107.5. The fan, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. You take a look at the schedule that was released last night. Uh, you take a look at it. There are, there are no Thursday night games. There are no Monday night games uh, on this. Although There are, are a couple of uh, to-be-determined uh, with the Steelers in Week 15 and then the Texans in Week 18. Uh, the Clearly the NFL hoping for uh, some good things to happen. Your take on this schedule and this team. Hey, Tony, they have more
1: 1 o'clock starts than General Hospital on the schedule this year. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's like they're a daytime drama on Sundays or something like that. But that's just the territory, Tony, that comes with being four twelve and one and being a circus of a year ago. And while I think people around here are juiced up regarding Anthony Richardson and what could be, it's certainly not what is going on right now. So that's the type of schedule you end up getting. Now, you mentioned something that's kind of interesting a little bit earlier because it's not a tough schedule, not in the least. And the Colts do have some parts that are top shelf. I mean, you look at DeForest Buckner, you look at Jonathan Taylor, we'll see about Shaquille Leonard, but they have some parts that are top shelf. It is all going to be dependent on the quality of the quarterback. The get along where Anthony Richardson is going to be? Is he going to be ready for the start of the season? I actually think, Tony, it is a perfect matchup to start that season in week number one, and hopefully they're capable and able to go ahead and feel comfortable in throwing Anthony Richardson up there. I think, me that is really important to go ahead and punch that clock and get him started right now but this is I think just a product because Jim Mercer in the past has been very outspoken about you know we need more primetime games and maybe it was justifiable back then but coming off what this season we watched this past it was not at all justifiable so you kind of get what you get I mean really for that Denver Colts Thursday night Amazon game alone they should not have been (laughs) given a primetime game so it's understandable but it's a schedule that is is doable and what i mean by that is they can be competitive with this schedule because let's take a look at it jmv let's break
0: down let's break down parts of this schedule it starts at home against the jaguars and then at the texans at the ravens home against the rams home against the titans and then back out against the jaguars so in those first 6 games you're playing the Jaguars twice, getting that out of the way. The Texans and the Titans getting that out of the way. The only things out of conference are uh, at the Ravens where Lamar Jackson is back and at home versus the Rams, and they could have that team back and humming this year.
1: Yeah, I will tell you this. That's weird. The, the whole divisional part, getting a lot of that out of the way early uh, is a little bit weird, but here's something else you can look for. I mean, obviously with the Texans, you got C.J. Stroud. Uh, That lone 4 o'clock, or at least from what we've seen on the schedule, is that matchup in Charlotte against Carolina. That is going to be Bryce Young. And we'll see what happens in Tennessee and how far along they get with starting Will Levis or continuing to start with Ryan Tannehill down there. But you're going to get a pretty strong look-see at the young quarterbacks. And we'll be able to, you know, evaluate and say, well, you know what, if you could have done this, you could have done that. But it is a schedule, Tony, that's conducive to winning some games. I mean, they should be competitive with this schedule. You know, and that lone outlier that we're talking about is that that Patriots matchup, which is weird, by the way. Tony, you go back 15, 20 years, and if you would have told me the Colts and the Patriots are playing in Frankfurt, Germany, which was such a rivalry and such a big game, it's either got to be Foxborough or Indy, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. But coming up November the 12th, Frankfurt, Germany, there you go with that matchup with the Patriots and the Colts. It's strange.
0: Talking to JMV from 93.51075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. The truth is there aren't big games and big names in this, but you're right about one thing. When you take a look at our division – when you take a look uh, at the fact that the Titans did pick up Will Levis in round two, and I think that's a steal and a half. When you take a look at the fact that it's 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 CJ Stroud who went to the Texans, uh, the AFC South has got all the new quarterbacks, so watching them is going to be a lot of fun, but it makes it very, very difficult to figure out where the rest of that team is at and whether or not the Colts have the advantage over the Texans or vice versa. The Colts have the advantage over uh, the, the the Titans or vice versa so when you take a look at this schedule do you say to yourself well here are the games that I know are unwinnable they go up against the Steelers they go up against the Bengals they go up against the Raiders for example and from those three which happened later in the season I don't think they could beat the Bengals I think uh Joe Burrow is just too dominant but I can't say that about the Steelers or the Raiders right now can I
1: No, you can That should be something, that New Year's Eve game in the afternoon against the Raiders. What is this, Tony, the sixth consecutive year that the the, uh, outcome of the previous season lines up for the Raiders and the Colts to play, which is kind of interesting there. But, no, no, you make a great point, and that's why I mentioned – I'm keeping it at a competitive schedule. They should be competitive. Like, there's no way in the world there should be a four-win team with this schedule. They're not going to be a ten-win team with this schedule – But they shouldn't be a four-win team, so you can slot that somewhere in between. Maybe they, I don't know, win seven right now if you're going to ask me to judge here in mid-May. But it is a schedule conducive to being competitive. And, you know, all these aspects, Tony, that we've talked about on your show so far that Colts fans need to see from what is this reboot, especially a quarterback, It's kind of what we saw with the Pacers last year. You got some exciting moments where they became competitive and they were better than what you thought. And I think the schedule, again, is conducive to being that type of schedule for this team to show those signs to the fans that may or may not be completely engaged after the past three years and and the finishes with this Colts team. So we'll see, but it's it's not a hard schedule at all.
0: When you take a look – And I gave you that that first uh, six. The bye week is in week 11, which is a nice place to have a bye week about halfway, a little more than halfway through uh, the season and the travel and everything to get them uh, the rest. And then coming back... Um, at home against the Buccaneers on the road against the Titans and the Bengals home against the Steelers away at the Falcons home. As you talk about that new year's Eve game at 1 PM against the Raiders and home at a TBD, you know, it'll be determined when that game is against the Texans. Um, They've got, they've got, a couple of games in there that they can win. You look at this overall schedule, and I missed the middle of the schedule. You've got uh at home against the Browns and at home against the Saints, and then you're away at the Panthers before being away uh at, at the Patriots playing in Germany. Where where does this schedule lead you? What is the record that this schedule leads you to when you take a look at it?
1: I, I to me I would expect them to improve by about three games from a year ago.
0: I mean that's
2: that's
1: where I would seven put them and ten right now. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would expect them to improve by about three games. I think if you go anything more than that, I'd be incredibly surprised. Um, and I, I know that that sounds, you know, kind of like a doom and gloom look to start the season, but I mean, you got a quarterback that's played thirteen games in his career. All right, that's just the the cut and the dry of it is that is going to be a work in progress. But you can see signs of them. Being able certainly to win more games, so seven games is what I would say right now. And hey, Tony, before we go, eyeball that schedule as well. How many great quarterbacks to you are on that schedule? You mentioned Burrow, Lamar Jackson. Oh wait, let me there. go. I'll go through it.
0: You got Trevor yeah. Lawrence for the for the Jaguars. That's serious work. Uh the Texans bring in CJ Stroud. You have Lamar Jackson yeah. against the Ravens. You got Matthew Stafford for the Rams. Will Levis now for the Titans. You're back again against uh uh Trevor Lawrence. I'm not even sure who the Browns are who wait Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Uh Deshaun Deshaun, Deshaun uh, give me his name. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson uh for the Browns. I don't know who's throwing for the Saints though. Who throws for the Saints? Derek Carr, the former Raiders quarterbacks, man, and that's what that my point. was I
1: was going to make. Holy just cow! This just—and then—and then you've then got, got, the got Bryce Young for the Panthers. That's yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> You're going to get to see the young quarterbacks, but it's not like this is a who's who of upper echelon quarterbacks at all in the NFL. You know, outside of Burrow and outside of what we think Lamar Jackson is going to be. So I I I would put it at seven wins right now um i I just think that that's what you're looking for until you know maybe i'm proven wrong and hopefully so but that's i think what this schedule is going to bear out for this colts team and there should be some chances at building and 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 getting some flashes of excitement and really at the same time tony working in a quarterback that is just incredibly inexperienced incredibly talented gifted athletic but inexperienced as well so there'll be plenty of time to work him in on the schedule
0: I'm going to take what you said into account because when I took a first glance at the schedule, JMV, I said uh, not 7 and 10, but 10 and 7. I said there's oh, a really? lot of real opportunity here. I will take a second look and take your words into account. <laughs> JMV, ninety three five one zero seven five, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I think one of the other questions, and I, I didn't get to this with, with JMV, but I'm I'm curious. The fan base is there, right? Like there's been no losing of the Colts fan base. I actually thought that the NFL did a very good job last year of keeping the wokeness at bay. I mean, they still have the ridiculous, you know, end racism on the, you know, uh, it takes all of us logo signage, whatever they have in the helmets or back of the helmets or somewhere in the end zone. They still do that kind of uh, of stuff. But it was not in your face last year. They really did move that out. And I found it to be very refreshing because I just want to watch the game. The game itself, I don't want anything except the game. What players do outside of the game doesn't really uh, bother me all that much. I can agree or disagree or whatever. I just think it's funny when athletes think they can get political and then they're amazed when they hear something back. How dare you question me? I'm just speaking my truth. Whatever. That sounds so silly. You bring something up politically. You bring up an opinion of some kind. Yeah, take a stand. Some people might disagree with it. It's okay. But, I mean, that's a far cry from the people who say shut up and dribble. I don't understand. Shut up and dribble. You can you can do whatever it is you choose. You just got to accept the fact that there's a response It's what happens on the court or on the field or on the diamonds. That's where we just want to see the thing. That's where the the job is to do the job. Outside of that, do what you will. And then the argument comes, so, oh, so you mean on my platform, I'm not allowed to say anything. I didn't say you couldn't say anything. I'm saying you shouldn't. I'm saying you should do the thing. And the more you do the thing, unless you do the other thing, on the field of play, wherever that field is, the more people are interested in what it is you're doing on the field of play. And then maybe there'll be more people to listen on the other side. You just don't want to turn people off. Always remember that in the end, Colin Kaepernick did not move the needle on anything. Didn't move the needle on anything. Now, if you want to argue what he's talking about, Tony, we've been able to defund police departments. Was that the needle you wanted to move? Oh, oh gosh, my mistake. I'm sorry. You definitely moved the needle there. Bravo. Look at you. Look at, clearly, clearly we're all better off. Well done and well played. That's, that's something. He didn't move the needle. You know, I've gone back and listened to Dave Chappelle in, in um the bird revelation or was it equanimity? I think it was the bird revelation talk about this again and again what colin kaepernick did for us i guess he means people who are black uh, but then he would have to be thinking that all black people think alike and that's something that dave chappelle has to square the circle on and he says you know he didn't have to do that his belly was full he didn't have to do that he did that for us i'm constantly stunned by that because i think the the bird revelation is this incredible piece of lenny bruce-esque kind of therapy for for Chappelle, it is very clear that this is a letting loose of his soul in that in that special. Um in that this was the moment I, I think for him where he realized I demons must be cast out. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it here and now I'm going to do it in this platform. I'm going to say these things and and for that because I really do think there is some some soul searching in that. I, I I find it a wonderful art piece. Really, it's not that I agree with everything. That commentary about um, uh, Colin Kaepernick, nah, now nah, he didn't do anything for you. He, he didn't do anything for you. I would debate. I would debate him on this anytime, anyplace, anywhere. He didn't do anything for you. It wasn't about you. I think that's. I think that's a desire to make it about you. In the end, it wasn't about you. No one's life is better because of it. No one. Now, to say that Kaepernick didn't actually believe it when he did it, I think he believed it when he did it. I don't think he um, accepted the fact that somebody might find it offensive. And when people said, I think it's wrong to take a knee for the national anthem. Not things Trump said. Uh, it's wrong to take a knee for the national anthem. And people are like, how dare you say that? They attacked Drew Brees. Do you remember that? Drew Brees, a guy who has done more for Louisiana, more for New Orleans, more to help people affected by Katrina and other stuff. He said, I think it's offensive when people take a for the national anthem. And people like LeBron James are yelling at him and screaming at him. So much so that he said, okay, please don't hurt me anymore, which he never should have done. Never should have done. LeBron and them, you know, anybody who was opposed to what Drew said is entitled to have that opinion. But go the other way with it. What if you disagreed? Are you entitled to have an opinion? What if you were a member of the Lakers? I, I don't know if you said the Lakers at that time. And you disagreed with LeBron. Could you have had an opinion? Or would you be off the team? Would you have no playing time? Would you have been traded? It's a real, real question. When we talk about doing things off the court or off the field, well now, is it just you? Or would others have the opportunity to do things off the court or off the field? A question requires an answer. So I'm not a guy who says shut up and dribble. I'm a guy who has no problem with people speaking their mind off the court. I do have a question about whether or not those who disagree with those who are loudest off the court have a voice to speak. Or are they basically told to be silent for fear of losing their jobs because the big players, the ones who make the decisions, they've got their point of view and you can't go against that. But this is all just, you know, a takeoff of a takeoff of a conversation that the NFL did well in keeping the wokeness off the field. And That's why I ask about the Colts haven't lost any fan base, have they? As long as you keep that wokeness off the field, you've got an opportunity for a pretty good season. One man's take. I'm Tony Katz. We should play a game. And the game is called... Can Joe Biden go a day without saying the word boy? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a weird game. Don't get me wrong, but it's Joe Biden. Everything's weird. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. He's talking about Doug Emhoff, the husband of Vice President Kamala Harris. The second gentleman is how he is referred to. And I guess Doug Emhoff's parents were somewhere where Joe Biden was, and this happens.
2: The second gentleman is here along with his parents, Mike and Barbara. And uh, as they say in Southern Delaware, you've done good raising that boy. And uh, well, thank you. And is is that what they say in
0: Southern Delaware? That's what they say in Southern Delaware. I didn't know. I did not know that that's what they say in Southern Delaware. Neither do the people of Southern Delaware. Every single time. Now, you understand that he, that that, the word boy is used as a pejorative. It is used to denigrate people specifically who are black. And it it has a historical context to it. It's, I, I will admit to you from the earliest part of my life, it always hit me as awkward. But it didn't hit me as awkward as so much on the on the racial side as it did just calling a gr- like somebody who's grown man calling them boy just always seemed off to me. However, calling somebody son doesn't bother me at all. That's a weird thing. But there's no doubt that you hear that today and you're like, "Dude, that's a vestige." You hear that today, you're like, "Huh? That's odd." He says it all the time. The question is does nobody tell him? Does nobody tell him, or do they tell him, and he just can't remember? This is who he is. He has no adaptation skills whatsoever. Everything's already baked in, and and the cake did not come out so good. Oh, he's going to get himself in trouble one day. No, wait. It's the progressives. They will ignore it completely. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Don't you give up. Nah, nah, nah a loss that the political left can state out loud well we should be giving Joe Biden a lot of credit for what he's done at the border why why should we be giving him a lot of credit for what he's done at the border what has he done at the border should we give him a lot of credit for dealing with the debt limit when they've now pushed the meetings back because you know they're a little busy they'll get to the debt limit next week no big whoop. Should I give him credit? Give him credit for not recognizing that Republicans came across, came through with legislation. And now he has to deal with it because that's the system. My gosh, this is a, in a world of unique spins, I think this is one of the more unique ones. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833 got Tony 8334688669 Now those of you who are true observers will recognize this is no different than anything else. This is what they do. They 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 have absolutely no connection to what's going on. It is all about how you can protect each other, how you can rein each other in, and uh, or not rein each other in, circle the wagons around each other. I mean, it's, it's really incredible to hear progressive representative Roe Kahana of California, a guy who is at least engaged in some very eloquent speech about the protection of free speech. To hear him talk like this? How do we do better for migrants coming across the border? How do we do better for those border towns? And is there any hope of legislation coming out of this Congress?
3: Well, first of all, let's give President Biden some credit for the policies that he has implemented. He has a system now where people can uh, file for humanitarian patrol uh, uh, coming from uh, parole, coming from Cuba and Venezuela. He has regional centers. He has implemented a system which says that you need to file first for asylum in the nearest country after you leave before you can be granted asylum in the United States. Uh, That's consistent with international law. That's why we're not seeing, as you report said hundreds of thousands of people coming across and the president is willing to have common sense policy most Democrats are secure the borders and then have enough people to process the claims because we're a country where you can file asylum it's a simple solution we're willing to compromise the Republicans aren't the congressman, you oh,
2: said the oh
0: Biden- compromise on what? And by the way, claiming asylum uh, as you're coming through countries wasn't Donald Trump somebody talking about that? And uh, well, that was that was sinful and and lacked the humanitarian touch. When Biden does it, it's worthwhile. I mean, this is a, a remarkable piece of madness. But it goes along with this statement from Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Starting tonight, people who arrive at the border without using a lawful pathway will be presumed ineligible for asylum. We are ready to process and swiftly remove people without a legal basis to remain in the U.S. Do not believe the lies of smugglers. People who do not use available legal pathways to enter the U.S now face tougher consequences, including a minimum five-year ban on re-entry and potential criminal prosecution. We are prepared for this transition and will enforce our laws. Thank you. Who are you saying thank you to? By the way, you got to see the video of Mayorkas doing this. It, it so looks like a hostage video. He so looks like a guy who doesn't want to be having this conversation. But now all of a sudden, you come across illegally, we'll assume your asylum claim is bunk, and you could be hit with a five-year ban uh, from coming back into the country. Like, that's going to work. But why? where was this talk just a few days ago? Why wasn't this a top-line conversation from the political left? If Trump said this, we would be told how he hates brown people. As a matter of fact, where in the world is Representative Ocasio-Cortez to cry over the cages? If we're now going to get tough, as Mayorkas is discussing, as uh, Representative Roquehanna is discussing, what happened to the conversation about heart and compassion? What about the families? What about the children? Are we still separating people? Do we still have cages? Why aren't we discussing what an evil, bigoted country we are that we should have open borders? Now, all of a sudden, we don't talk like this? The radicalness in the political nature of the thing. That's something I've been discussing today over and over again. The radicalness of the political nature of the thing. The border should not be a political subject. The border is about the safety and security of all citizens. In the United States, the United States being what? A sovereign nation. You have to believe that the U.S. is a sovereign nation. You have to believe that the U.S. not only has borders, but is entitled to the Enforcement of those borders. They are entitled to protect and defend themselves. They are entitled to ensure that American children of all stripes, black and brown and white and everything in between, are well protected and taken care of. You have to believe it. And it is very obvious that the political left does not. It is obvious and clear that the political left does not believe in the idea. They don't believe in the idea that there should be a border. Now, do I think that's true of every Democrat? No, not at all. But it's certainly true of the squad. It's a thousand percent true of the squad and squad acolytes. This was MSNBC earlier today, man. Joe Scarborough. I, I, again, I'm going to say it. He used to, he used to run the most intellectual show on cable news, and now he is. I actually have exclusive audio now of uh, Joe Scarborough talking uh, about the news. Uh, you you got to listen a little intently to it. But here, this is Joe Scarborough today talking about the news. Uh... That's about right. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. The level of all emotion, uh, the, the all hat, no cattle that he is to these conversations. This was him talking about the border and asking a question of former White House press secretary and now MSNBC host Jen Psaki. But that doesn't mean it's not a
3: humanitarian crisis. And as soon as we shore up the border and the tougher we get, not with immigrants, not with migrants, but the tougher we get on keeping our border secure, the more of a message we send to millions and millions of people who make this dangerous, inhumane journey and then have this inhumane experience at the border because, you know, they can't just walk across the border. Um It causes more of a humanitarian crisis. So why doesn't the Democratic Senate pass a bill and then negotiate with the Republican House?
1: Well, I think the challenge, Joe, most Democrats you talk to, and I'm sure you talk to many of them, too, are not opposed to more border security. In fact, they think it needs to be smarter border security because a wall, as we all know, is doing nothing. Um, and they want it to be more up to date with the modern technology that the system allows for. I think the challenge here, Joe, is what Jonathan just said. It's a message bill that came through the House. They only want to do border security. They will not negotiate on things that are also crises like the asylum processing system that is out of date that doesn't have resources there isn't a system in place like the dreamers who are hanging in the you know that are hanging out there and don't have any uh, you know con- confirmation of what their
0: future looks like so this is now negotiable the u.s border is now negotiable well tony what about the debt limit oh well you see how this works the Democrats want you to raise the debt limit unilaterally without any preconditions and without any negotiation. The Republicans are saying no. The Republicans are saying we should at least have legislation that helps us fortify the border. And now it's, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? The truth is the border does require the all of the above approach. There's a multiplicity of places that we need to work on. We need to work on the physical border. We need to work on the technology of the border. We need to work on the people who defend the border. We do need to work on not only asylum systems, but a totality system regarding immigration. Then we have to engage the humanitarian. But Americans first on the humanitarian, something that you can't get Saki or uh, Joe Scarborough to buy into. But listen to how she's kind of like, she she thinks it's a bit of a joke here. Well, Listen to this again. Because a wall, as we all know, is doing nothing. A wall doesn't do nothing. Go talk to Border Patrol. Now, when, when people realize that in parts of the Rio Grande Valley sector, the majority, the wall is not on the border. The wall is like a mile, a mile and a half in. You're like, wait, what? Well, it's true. The wall is in. People are already in the United States, which is why you need to talk about all the things. And then there are places in the country where a wall makes no sense because people in the main aren't crossing in these areas. So what you want to have is technology and other sensors, uh, other skill sets, whether it's drones, sensors, I should say, and things like that, to be able to know when people are trying to, to cross so you can send teams out to apprehend. The wall works because it slows people down and therefore aids in the apprehension. So when Gensaki smiles like a fool and tries to laugh off the idea that walls don't work, that's not true. But it would be equally not true to say, build a wall and this all ends. No, that's not it. Now, I understand that the populism has come to that conclusion, but they're wrong. That's a hard one to swallow. If you believe, well, we just build a wall, this will all end, you'd, you'd be wrong. It is every step along the way has to get done. Has to get done. Now, you want to start with the physical? You start with the physical. You want to start with the technology? You start with the technology. They're dying for more technology. They're dying for more tools. And there you are talking about the tools, Jen yet there has been no legislation, I should say. There has been no move to getting it out there. None. So don't be talking about Republicans. They keep talking about the border and it's not something that's moving the electorate. Joe Scarborough was saying that. The border doesn't move the electorate. The border is necessary and all these pieces of the border are necessary. They're all necessary. And while we can agree that both parties have not done enough about the border, stop trying to tell me Rokahana that somehow Biden has done more than anybody else This is This is absolute garbage
3: Joe as a son of immigrants I agree with you Of course a nation needs secure borders and most Democrats including progressives like me are fine with spending money on technology to secure the border are fine with increasing border security but we want to make sure that we actually solve the problem and do three uh, additional things first Make sure that we're investing in people who are going to be able to process the asylum claims. And if someone has a false asylum claim or just coming for economic reason, reasons, they will be sent back. And, but we don't have the resources for that. Second, have a plan uh, for comprehensive immigration. And third, look at what's causing people to flee Venezuela and Cuba. I mean, the Republicans are saying let's sanction them more. That's causing more people to actually leave. Let's-
0: now, couple things here a if you've got roca talking about technology let's create more legislation to add more technology secondly comprehensive border uh was it comprehensive uh immigration reform that's the term they use that pfft, that's a meaningless term it's meaningless but this idea of the problem is the sanctions in cuba and the sanctions in venezuela you know who was saying that ben rhodes former deputy national security advisor of the obama administration
2: yeah i mean jay has it exactly right in the sense that you're not going to stop the images that we're seeing you're not going to stop the thousands and tens of thousands of people coming to the border in the next few months or even the next couple of years uh just through policies that you pursue in central and latin america that doesn't mean that we don't do that though like we should be doing everything we can to address every aspect of the push factors that are driving people to the border and in some cases andrea our own policies are contributing to that so you mentioned cuba and venezuela we could be having a, an honest conversation here that the embargo that we have on Cuba and the sanctions that we have in Cuba and Venezuela are contributing significantly to the humanitarian crisis that it's also driving people to the border. When Donald Trump put all those sanctions back in place and tried to roll back everything that we had done, it created a real acute humanitarian crisis in Cuba where people just can't get the food to survive. And so they're coming to the U.S. border in enormous numbers that we haven't seen in many, many years. And this is an obvious thing that is sitting right in front of the Biden administration to just go back to the kind of openness that we had at the end of the Obama years, make life better for the Cuban people, and deal with one of the major push factors that is driving up numbers to the border. They're living under communism. You can't make life
0: better for the Cuban people without getting rid of communism, which is part of the point, isn't it? But the idea that America caused the problem, so therefore we deserve what's happening. That's a stretch. That's a stretch in the half. But now you're hearing this as the talking point. This is where they're at. This is, and by the way, why would all these people looking for a better life come to such a bigoted country? Ah, I'll leave that. I'll leave that for others. You want technology? Let's do more of that. You want to listen to Ben Rhodes? How many more things can the guy be wrong about? Communism has to get destroyed. And our border has to be protected. And both things can happen at the same time. I'm Tony Katz. Brisket shopping, people. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting ready. So there's the Memorial Day brisket, then there's the Father's Day brisket, then there is the Independence Day brisket, there might be a Flag Day brisket in there. I'm very busy. There are a lot of briskets. I'm actually going to be giving, uh, for me, really my first take on on pulled pork. I'm going to be going, uh, not too much pulled pork for a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. It didn't happen so much, but I'm going to make it happen. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. I'm gearing up. I'm gearing up, and the book "Let's Go Barbecue." Uh, that's that's book number two. The first is "Let's Go Bourbon," which is available at Amazon.com from Eat Drink Smoke. Eat Drink Smoke presents "Let's Go Bourbon," the bourbon reader you've always needed. That's at Amazon.com. Book number two is "Let's Go Barbecue," and and it's it's with the editor right now, and then into layout, and then it's happening, and then it's happening. I'll let you know when the book is available. Find everything I do at TonyKatz.com, TonyKatz.com. Monday, everyone, take care.